0: What the world craves are anxiousless people.
1: When one of my youngest cousins was in elementary school, she became aware of the way that time was slowly speeding up. The way Christmas arrived, the school days ended, and summer vacation passed, each a little more quickly than the year before. She was sharing this insight with our grandmother, a woman in her 70s, who confirmed that, yes, this acceleration happens to everyone. And no, it doesn't stop. My cousin was at first pleased at having her supposition confirmed, but then alarm quickly registered on her face. You mean it gets faster every year? She asked. Our grandmother nodded. The little girl looked into her eyes, worrying in her head over the math. Then a year for you must be over so fast, she said and she was right. Welcome to Pan Parenting. I'm your host, Liz Waz, a white American mother raising two biracial children in Rome, Italy. Ever since becoming a mother, I have become more and more aware of the influence of fear on my choices and thoughts, on the emotional ecosystem circling my family's life. Pan-Parenting is a year-long project to seek out, confront, dispel, and destroy the fears that threaten to damage our well-being. In a year of conversations with parents from across the globe, parents of all nations, I will find a better, more courageous, and fulfilling way to live. As a woman, a partner, an artist, a mother, abroad and at home, wherever the latter shall be. For years before becoming a mother, I studied mindfulness meditation in Berkeley, California. The seventh line of the metta, or loving-kindness meditation that I learned from my first teacher was, may I have ease of being. It seemed to me the most abstract and ambiguous line of the meditation. Statements such as, may I be happy, and may I be safe from danger. Seemed comparatively straightforward. What does ease of being really mean, I wondered. About a year into my meditation practice, I finally arrived at an understanding of what it meant, at least for me. Ease of being is the calm contentment that I feel when I am at peace with the passage of time. It was, in those days, a rarity. Far too often I would be wishing for time to speed up to get me faster through a trying class and exhausting day the whole of a work week. Or wishing for it to slow down so I could finish a project, linger in a lazy Sunday haze, avoid certain responsibilities looming on the horizon. Every now and then, though, I would realize that I didn't need either. Neither the speeding up nor the slowing down. The time was passing, my life happening at a rate that felt comfortable. Slow enough for me to settle in, but fast enough to avoid restlessness. It was in those moments that I felt true ease of being, and that I realized how remarkable a home it can form around you.
0: That's an action that we, we need to take, is to protect the peace inside of us that can be so like tossed and turned by the waves. And I think more than ever, this is a time in our our day in in life and in history that we as individuals need to protect that peace.
1: There's an oft-invoked aphorism in parenting. The days are long, but the years are short. It is a statement in which many raising small children can recognize their own experience, one which is offered up as a solace and as a gesture of solidarity. But... It is also a painfully succinct expression of what it means to lack ease of being. It describes the particularly painful reality of somehow experiencing the passage of time as too slow and too fast, both simultaneously. All those years ago, when I first came into understanding of what ease of being really meant, I took that knowledge to mean that one must strive to construct a life that enabled that ease. If you had a better job, maybe then you wouldn't hope to race toward the weekend. If you had a nicer home, maybe then you wouldn't worry that vacations were coming too quickly to a close. It seemed to me at first that the solution to dis-ease of being was to try to construct the kind of life around oneself that one could more comfortably inhabit that doing so would mean letting go of that urge to speed up or slow down. I contend still that this is not a bad impulse and that doing so is undoubtedly wise, but it is not the way to find lasting ease of being. While a truly untenable lived reality can make it nearly impossible to achieve, a luxurious one does not necessarily bring one any closer There is nothing that one can change about the external reality of a life that will bring its liver that ease for more than a short time. No, the change is one that can only be effected from within. The what of it revealed itself before the how of it. The bridge to which, for me, became the why of it. And it was pregnancy that pulled me into some clarity. In pregnancy, I was able for the first time to truly embrace the power and sacredness of life, of my life. I found the beauty of pregnancy to be the awareness that I was for a time, a universe. I extended to the farthest reaches of what was known to my child, still not yet of this world, only of me. And so it became an opportunity to create a universe deserving of that child I already held so dear. A chance to give someone the experience of living entirely in a world shaped by a radiant love and a sustaining ease of being. What might it mean, I wondered, for a one-year-old to have spent fully 40% of her existence surrounded by ease of being before ever setting sight on this messy world we all stumble through? And this is how I so joyously realized that ease of being was, in fact, something that one could decide to have. It is not the type of decision that one makes once, of course, but rather the deciding that you live moment after moment, day after day. And once I understood the what and the why, how became simple. Because the passage of time only ever rubs at you angrily like an ill-fitting shoe when you attempt to live in either the past or the future. Realities that do not exist and so will never welcome you. When you reside in true reality, the present moment, then time passes as it should, and there is no railing against it. It was just recently, in the early days of March, when we were struggling to inhabit our new lockdown lives that I found myself losing my grasp on that ease of being that had come to characterize much of my Italian life. How does one make peace with the passage of time when the weeks begin to blur and the days lose their meaning? For the first time in my parenting, I began to feel that the days were growing long. I began to fear that soon the years might fall short. As I worked to regain my balance to rediscover what ease of being meant in my sudden confinement, I slowly began to see something beautiful and found myself eager to reach out and compare notes on the experience of Italian quarantine with toddlers. So I called up Amanda Moore, another American mother whose entry to Italy mirrors my own. Both of us moved to Rome in 2017, her after a decade in Washington, D.C., me after a decade in the Bay Area. It was her husband Gautier's work in global food security that brought them to Rome. But, like me, they have since found many reasons to remain in the city, with their three-year-old daughter and one-year-old son. We spoke in April from our respective lockdowns, her just across the Tiber, but feeling to me, like everyone in that moment, like Italy even, to be not at all near.
2: You can just start by telling me, how have things been going?
0: It's an interesting experience because you have, on one hand, you're holding the pain of the world and the pain and discomfort of uh, so many people are going through. And then on the other hand, though, there's a lot of beauty and joy that's kind of coming out of this time. I really do try to think that, you know, when the kids are grown and life is, I don't know what normal will be like, but. I think we'll really be grateful for this time, a robust family time.
2: <laughs> I feel the same way about this interesting mix of of grief, but also beauty. I remember when my son was born, one of the things that I was so grateful for was the fact that his sister was going to preschool and she had her own world and her own space that was not changing everything else in her life was changing suddenly with the arrival of the sibling but that was something that was consistent and the relationships that she had there were not being shifted and she was so happy every day to go there and I was glad that she had that it's been the case that since then this is the longest stretch of time that she's ever spent together with her brother all day and it's been really interesting for me to watch their relationship develop and I'm wondering What has the development of your kids' relationship looked like over these weeks?
0: I think our kids are at an age where, thankfully, their life is still pretty family-focused with the exception of one or two lucky friends that kind of get to hold a little bit of space of attention. And so I think for my daughter, she shifted her attention toward her little brother. And then also it's been interesting to see her make believe world just explode during this time. And so their relationship has certainly I think, grown and strengthened. I'm almost grateful for this time to see that because we we just didn't get to observe it with her going off to school every day. And I i don't think I want homeschool from here on out or anything like that. But I do think that this has been a really sweet time to watch their relationship grow. And it's kind of fun to watch them engage and interact in ways that I wasn't quite touching. And I felt that way. I, I worked you know, out of the home when my daughter was born. And then I've been home more with my son. And even before the pandemic, I was noticing so much about how curious he is or how often he just gets into every drawer he's not supposed to touch and pulling plugs. And I'm like, wow, my daughter never did this. And actually she did, but I just missed a lot of that. And so I do think the pandemic is kind of like allowing all of us to have windows into our children's days that folks that worked outside of the home did not get and siblings who went to separate schools haven't had to experience so that's been really cool i think i am grateful that my daughter she talks about the virus a little bit but it's mostly it's not uh, you know filled with anxiety i think she's just not at an age where she's capturing kind of the fear element or the the danger of and so she'll talk about, you know, when the virus goes, we're going to do this and this, but we're not having to deal with the element of calming children's anxieties that I know so many parents are dealing with.
2: My, my first year here in Rome was living in this gated community of Americans. And to me, it felt like I was living near Italy, but not in Italy. And I was very close and I could visit Italy whenever I wanted. but I wasn't living with Italians. So I was really excited at the end of that first year when we moved across town a little ways and became surrounded by Italians. And I felt like I was moving to Italy and beginning an Italian life a year in to this adventure. At the moment, it sort of feels almost as though I live in Italy, but not near it. Do you feel like you're living in Italy right now?
0: That's a great question. I really don't, and it's making me really sad. <laughs> I really miss Italy. My husband and I both have travel guides, Italian and Rome travel guides by our bedsides. That's our night reading. Oh wow. <laughs> because we we really miss this country and we really miss this city. You know, I go for a walk every day and we are right next to the Aurelian Wall, which is the ancient wall that was built hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And it was built, which was interesting to protect Rome from the threats of Northern Italy. And I did find that actually pretty fascinating because when we began this lockdown, it was because of the threat of Northern Italy, you know, of a virus that was coming down from Lombardy and Milan. And it is my only real taste, I feel, of kind of that ancient connection that I I just love about this city and and to walk along the wall because it's quite wide. There's no one there and there's some grass along the wall. And and so I love to walk along it to just remind me of, of this this place I live in. I've found that I miss very much the people, of course. I miss Italians. I miss my getting my espresso and knowing the name and the personality of every barista and I had some cornettos delivered to me this morning from my, my favorite bakery. And, um, those elements I miss so much, but I also just miss, I miss the city. Like I, I kind of didn't realize how much a soul Rome has. I feel very connected to the soul of it. I mean, I did when I was in college and I first visited Rome. I don't know if you've had these experiences where you, there's countries and there's cities that are like, Soulmates, like a friend, where you meet, and you're like, "Wow, this is a kindred spirit." I feel very much like there are cities and countries like this, and I felt that way, like a kindred spirit with Rome. And and so I do actually miss the actual, just this, the place, walking her streets and engaging with her history and these incredible structures and buildings that date back to ancient times to modern day, and. Yeah. So that's been really fascinating to kind of be like, I'm here, but I'm really not here. One of the interesting things about this, this lockdown is that I find that our family is like building its own culture. And I think every family has their own culture, but you, you and like it's, it's so much more intense and sped up because for a young family, because we're not around other families or other influences. So, you know, my family is my husband is French, I'm American, and we're in Italy. And so as we're building this kind of interesting lockdown culture, there's elements of our Italian culture that that influences us, there's elements of the French that's been a part of our daily routine. And then there's elements of America. So that's been kind of fascinating. You mentioned
2: your background, you know, being American with a, a French husband living in Italy. And I was thinking about that before, before talking to you and really wondering, because all three of these countries are now in the midst of this crisis, which of the three countries do you feel closest to in this moment? And where do you feel your emotions landing in terms of your grief or your anxiety or your worry within the, that constellation?
0: I think when the lockdown started in Italy, it was fascinating to see so much attention on Italy because of how quickly, you know, the virus was spreading here. And and so I saw I was very much a part of Italy's lockdown during that, just really only two weeks. And it was fascinating also to see my friends and family in America, the outpouring of emails and texts and attention to us. With thoughts and prayers, because they saw us as experiencing something they would would not experience, and so it was almost like, "Oh wow, you know, let's think of our friends, you know in in Italy, because they're in such a crisis, and I you know I feel so badly for Amanda. she has to be locked down with her kids, and you know, they were sending me links to homeschooling advice and what to do on an eternal snow day, things like that. And then, you know, just two weeks later, America realized that it was going to be going through the same thing and possibly even more intensely because of just the nature and the the large population of the country. And so for me, it was fascinating to take the energy that America was beginning to put out there, you know, with, with the anxieties of my friends and family in America, the, The news, you know, just the noise. Obviously, I was paying more attention to American news because I don't, my Italian language skills are not fantastic. And so I couldn't really engage in what was the conversation being had in in Italy. And I caught myself, it was a little bit dangerous because I started to kind of take on America's burden in addition to Italy's. And it was a strange existence because I was thinking, you know, we're really kind of settled into this. We know what we need to do here. There are more regulations here. So we're obeying them. But yet the conversations I was having was as if I lived in America and it was, it was not very healthy, I think. And I could sense, you know, a little bit of anxiety kind of bubbling up that I didn't have prior to America's taking on this lockdown and more seriously. So I think that I would say I feel I feel very much like I'm experiencing Italy's response and lockdown, but in many ways, my thoughts and more of my fears about this are related to the States. I think the nature of being an American, but also probably because I'm Tap clued in a little bit more to the news and listening to podcasts that are focused more in America. I don't know if that's actually a very healthy thing to do. And I really am trying to kind of balance it and go on a bit more of a news fast here and there. My mother in law actually had the virus a few weeks ago and was home alone in her apartment in Paris. And so as far as the personal connection, it really lied in, in France, knowing that she was alone and, and suffering and very sick. Thankfully, she has recovered fully and never was admitted to the hospital or anything. But yeah, but our attention was very much there.
2: Yeah, I, I'm i so glad your your mother-in-law is doing well. That must have been a hard thing to be so far. But at the same time, even if you weren't far, you'd be far. <laughs> In a way. I really really relate to what you're saying about this emotional struggle with the Italy and the US news because I experienced something very similar. I I think that in the beginning it was the same thing here. Everyone I had this outpouring from America, from friends and family who were looking at our experience as something that wasn't going to touch them. And I felt like for about a week, the hardest part for me was watching the inaction in the United States and feeling all this anxiety, feeling like I was I was watching this slow motion train wreck and I just kept yelling, do something, do something, do something. And just feeling just a little bit bewildered that the example of what was happening in this country wasn't translating. I think in some ways I was just needing a direction for my anxiety and that's the direction that it went in. But I am having a similar experience now where I am I'm experiencing Italy's lockdown and Italy's restrictions are what's giving shape to my days but I am so much aware of in a deeper way what's happening in the United States because of the media that I'm consuming and because of the language and also partly because I'm so familiar with the political landscape of the United States and the political landscape here in Italy remains um very, very confusing (laughs) to me. (laughs) I've been trying to understand it since I arrived and and I I haven't quite wrapped my head around Italian politics yet. And so I can't really, um, I can't really get my head around what the political reaction is here in Italy. Whereas in the United States, it's, it's a lot easier to decipher. But I remember in the beginning thinking that I, Felt so. I felt so sad for Italians because what they were going through at the very beginning of the lockdown, what they were going through was so much worse than what I was going through. Whereas in the very beginning, we just had to stay home. We didn't have anyone, any family out there in Italy that we needed to be worried about, that we weren't able to go to, that we might want. And I thought it must be very hard to be here in a country where family is so important. And all of a sudden to have that taken away. And I didn't lose that while the Italians around me were losing it. I was very aware of that. And now I I still feel a similar kind of fortune in that I look at my family in America and my parents are both essential workers. They both work in healthcare and they are not able to see anyone. And my mom usually takes care of her parents and she also helps take care of my sister's kids and she can't go near them. I think that In some ways, it's so much easier for me because I live in Italy, so I couldn't go near them anyway. Whereas they're right there and she can almost reach out and touch them, but she can't. And so to have to hold back has got to be the harder, the harder thing.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, one of my favorite like mystic teachers from centuries ago, she talks a lot about protecting your peace that actually it it needs pr- to be protected and that's an action that we we need to take is to protect the peace inside of us that can be so like tossed and turned by the waves and i think more than ever this is a time in our our day then in, in life and in, in history that we as individuals need to protect that peace and what the world craves are anxiousless people people that really have found a way to protect the peace and and provide a source, a sense of stability for people that really are are feeling a bit, a bit tossed by this.
2: Yes. It's interesting the way in which because of the restrictions, because so many choices have been taken away from us. We have a, a smaller menu. And I feel like in some ways, because of that, it's made it more clear how many choices we do have the ability to make. That we often don't necessarily recognize as choices. Really choosing how, what to focus on, how to feel, like how to construct a day, how to interact with our loved ones, you know, that all of this really can be very much a conscious choice. And it becomes, in some ways, easier to see it as a choice when all these other choices have been stripped away.
0: Absolutely. I think I've been really grateful for. Uh, the simpler life that I'm experiencing right now. And I think I'm curious to see as we emerge from this, uh, when there's more freedom to go out, how people will react to that and, and what the like practices people will install in their daily routine to kind of go back to that simplicity a bit more. I think a lot of friends who have said that they just realized how busy they had made themselves to kind of avoid elements of pain in their lives or (laughs) fill every moment with activity and being away from from home or whatever. And I think I find myself having done that too, in some ways. So yeah, having this really simple structure to like work from again, we've got this amount of days and hours in the day, we're home, minus the one or two walks that we take. And so what do we do? How do we fill our time within these walls? And that's been a really kind of beautiful practice to engage in is, is how do I live in this simplicity and take advantage of it?
2: I, I've been thinking just today, actually, was talking to my partner about feeling a certain frustration. Or I'm feeling a certain frustration when I hear people in America about not being able to go to a restaurant or see their friends, and and seeming very frustrated with the, the restrictions that are in place. I wasn't feeling a great deal of generosity for the suffering that was being shared. And I think what I came to is the reason why is I feel like a lot of those complaints are not actually honest countings of what is going on with that person. And probably not even an honest accounting with themselves. You know, I think a lot of the people who are feeling really, really put upon with some of these modest sacrifices are really suffering from something much deeper, right? Like you were saying, this inability to be alone with oneself, which is kind of pointing at, at a bigger grief or discomfort or lack of contentment in one's own self and life. And if people were to, really go deeper underneath what it is that's that's causing this distress on the surface what is it that's that's actually making this distress happen and into that deeper longing it would be something much more significant and much more in some ways painful to face but much more important and i think there it'd be a lot easier to to really understand and feel the compassion that i find myself lacking at a certain extent right with these kind of surface level complaints because i think there is a lot that's underneath some of it that people aren't necessarily accessing.
0: Yeah, i think that's a great point. You know, a lot of times we find our identity by what we do and how we spend our days and and even around what recreations is accessible to us or the type of people and when that's kind of stripped from you it's it causes you to pause and think who am i? You know, what is my identity? Where did i find my value or what did i value? And when I can no longer like, have access to this entertainment or this, these groups of friends in person. And so I do think this is a time more than ever to have a, a, available to us people that can really help you talk through some of those feelings that you're having. And, and so I, I've found that connecting with friends, just to talk through some of these, I, these themes that keep emerging, identity and from loneliness to whatever it might be that you're dealing with. It's really a unique time to be <laughs> engaging in these kind of conversations and, and thinking through this.
2: Absolutely. There's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity to do some powerful work in our relationships and with ourselves. We talked a little bit about these three countries that are very much central with your family, but I was also wondering about a fourth country, Burkina Faso, because Your husband got back from there just days before this lockdown began, right? I was just wondering if he has been in much touch with the colleagues that he left there. And if so, what is this pandemic like for people who are doing that frontline humanitarian nonprofit work?
0: Yeah, so he... He was in Burkina Faso for about three months, working in the humanitarian space, dealing with hunger issues. And he came back, and you know, we went in lockdown just a few days later. And so he stayed in touch with his with his colleagues. The nature of his work, he's in touch with colleagues from many countries that are dealing with already really vulnerable situations. Burkina Faso is dealing with hunger emergency due to. Conflict and climate change, and so to add something like this to Burkina Faso or any other country that's really in a vulnerable place, it's it's really just adds fuel to the fire. You know, the response my husband's colleagues are dealing with is how to slow down a, a virus that's spreading quickly in countries with this extreme lack of healthcare. And so, you know, if you if you think our hospitals are being overrun. Imagine regions of the world where there's no hospital and small clinics and very little accessible. My husband uh, just took on a new contract that he'll be actually deploying again in about a month's time to one of these countries that's hit quite hard by the virus. And so he focuses a lot on hunger, which is a direct result to any kind of crisis. I'll be seeing him leave again in about a month's time to uh one of these countries focusing a lot about this exact topic uh, dealing with developing nations that are vulnerable and even more so now because of the pandemic
2: it seems as though I mean we know that, that this virus is most deadly in people with pre-existing conditions and it feels almost like there are whole countries that have in a sense pre-existing conditions
0: yeah you, you think about countries where there's there's conflict happening. And one weapon is, uh, is obviously um, holding back access to food and access to healthcare. And so those are the parts of the world that really, I'd say even more than, than America have my heart.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You said at the beginning of our conversation about finding ways of sort of being with that grief and the sorrow. I don't know if you have any suggestions. I mean, what, what have you found that feels most meaningful and, and purposeful in engaging those emotions?
0: Well, I've thought about this some, um, and, and I think that there's, there's not a lot we can do if you're not a healthcare worker or an essential worker that keeps the world moving. So we find ourselves with time on our hands. I mean, as parents, that's limited at times, but... I do feel that one thing I can do is keep my small and tiny world well and healthy. And I feel that if I'm keeping my kids engaged, uh, there's joy in my house. We're eating well and moving our bodies as much as we can and getting sleep. Elements of just simple life that keeps us well and keeping ourselves away from people, and I felt, I felt like, okay, that I think in some ways, that energy that's positive coming from my small part of the world, my tiny home. I hope that that does actually impact the globe. And then also, some friends recently kind of walked us through this beautiful ritual. We all did it on Zoom. I, I met, I was with about twenty or twenty folks from all over the United States, mostly, but in you know, a couple other countries. And we each were asked to bring to the ritual, a bowl of water, and then a little bit of salt. And when we were together, our friends who were facilitating this time, they said, Okay, add, add the salt to this water, this, this represents our uh, collective tears. And so we each held a bowl of water, salty water to represent the tears that we collectively shared. And and each of us dipped our hand when it was our turn, we dipped our, our fingers into the water and we pulled our hands out. Let we let the water just run down our hands and we each expressed what our tears were for. What was beautiful was everybody brought their own perspective on this time and what what was kind of pulling at their heart. My tears are for Those who are are dying alone and don't get to say goodbye to their loved ones. My tears are for those who are imprisoned. Tears are for children who found safety at school. And so that time I felt was a really constructive experience to do collectively with a small group of people to really acknowledge that we are growing in this time. There are, There is beauty, but there's also pain. And let's express it together as a community. And then, of course, sharing ideas and ways to respond, whether it's with resources, money, or with our own. Let's stay away and let the professionals do their thing. And hopefully, we'll see light at the end of this tunnel sooner than later.
1: I left this conversation reminding myself of something I had learned during my first pregnancy. That there is no perfection here, only a constant striving. It was something I had devoted myself to for the duration of each pregnancy. I had, though, in lockdown, temporarily forgotten the amazing thing that happens in the wake of birth. When you realize that you have not ceased to be a universe that all of us only ever always were, but that we can only see that when we are here, a place too many of us seldom visit, dancing as we are into the arms of death. When the lockdown began, I was desperately reaching for the future, trying to will unseen distant others to action. I was constantly slipping away from the present moment. I was failing to live now, but even more, I was also failing to live here, For the first time in my Italian years, my foreignness was creating a barrier that kept me away from my own life. To stumble is inevitable and forgivable and sincere, but if I am unable to regain ease of being in moments of crisis, I fear that perhaps I never truly had it. As the days bled into weeks, my children once again taught me the first lesson they ever imparted one that I imagine I will need to relearn again and again. It is the most profound gift that loving someone can bring. I love my children so much that I have decided, once again, to be with them, actually with them, which requires that I be in the only place they exist, now and here. And so, I am a universe. The days are days, and the years are years. And time passes just as it should, which incidentally is just a little bit quicker with each passing year. Each one taking exactly as long as it must for me to truly live it. Ease of being as I have come to know it, is a completely internal orientation. It is about the relationship between oneself and the passage of time. It does not involve resignation or acceptance of suffering and injustice in the world. Rather, it is a necessary state for working most effectively to alleviate and dismantle such ills. To change the world, we need to understand the past. We need to clarify a vision of a future worth working toward. But we cannot live in either, neither a painful past, nor a brilliant future. The work of change can only be done in one place. And that place is here now. This is Lynn, day 52, Iowa City, Iowa.
2: There are no secrets in a pandemic house. If someone's doing the laundry, washing the dishes, and taking out the trash, we all see it. My husband does all of the above, which I appreciate. But there's another level of invisible labor that even now struggles to be seen, even by myself, while I'm doing it. What some have called the chief operating officer role. Meal planning, setting up Zoom meetings between children, planning a garden to lure the kids outdoors. In general, making our lives more pleasant, educational, and flavorful.
1: Another title just occurred to me, cruise director. This is Jeannie,
0: day 81, Oakland, California. I am keeping a list of things to do when we can leave the house again, when we can resume the life we once lived. The dentist, haircuts, a zoning payment, a trip. I push to the side that there is a before and after to all of this. I push to the side that the after may not resemble the once lived at all.
1: Thank you for listening to Pan Parenting. I'll be back in two weeks. Click the link in the show notes to read more about how you can support vulnerable nations during this pandemic. To see photos of my guests' lockdown lives, follow the show on Instagram at panparenting. And if you have thoughts to share on this episode or want to share your own 30-second dispatch, email a voice memo to info at panparenting.com. To join me on this year-long journey towards fearlessness, subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or wherever you listen. And if you like what you hear, please take some time to rate and review the podcast, which helps others find it. Thank you to everyone who has lent their ears. Your act of witness keeps this quest alive. have ease of being shanti shanti
2: shanti